Well, good morning again, church. Uh, This morning, it may not seem as the the typical verse of, or verses of the Advent time, but for us, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. Maybe some of you know that this is the book that I am walking our youth through uh, on Sunday evenings. We've been working our way through this book for some weeks now. Well, given this opportunity to preach this morning, I felt that there is what I had to speak from. So we find ourselves in the the book of Philippians, chapter 1, starting in verse 27. Well, let let me read those words before us before we begin this endeavor in which we call preaching. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Well, let's go once more to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we pray that you guide us this morning. You would lead us in the understanding of your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. Or we know that sometimes, and often so, your words can be piercing. They're sharp. Lord, but they are not meant for our harm. But for our good and your glory. So we pray that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we just see those first words that the Apostle Paul spoke to us, uh, sometimes it's a a reminder that often the English language can be quite wordy. He tells us, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's my mission this morning is to proclaim to you and to I how to live a worthy life for the gospel of Christ. But as I said, it took Paul seven words to say that. Let your manner of life be worthy. Well, in the Greek language, those seven words... Only one is used. Only one. And that is the word politeo. And my endeavor this morning is not to give you a Greek lesson. But to understand this text fully, I think we have to begin there and and to really understand how we are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We have to begin there by understanding that term. 
Opolateo comes from the noun, the, the origination of the noun polis, which means city. City. Another way of saying it is polis is also interpreted as citizen. Actually, the two of those words there are interchangeable. So I guess another way of reading this text, to conduct oneself worthily as a citizen of your city. But even more, and I think it's it's quite pivotal for us to understand the context even further, for us to understand why Paul is, is calling on them to be a worthy citizen of their city. Well, that that term polis, synonymous with citizenship, basically speaks more further further of a a city-state. Now, Philippi, and Scripture lays this out, what do we understand about the location of Philippi? Because no doubt Paul is speaking to the Philippians. But the city of Philippi, well, in Acts 16, we even get a little bit more understanding of this city. One, it's a Roman colony. Now, it is situated in the province of Macedonia, but it is under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire. That word polis, in the Greek culture, and in this time, means so much to that individual. And the reason that it also means citizen is because there is no separation between the two. If you are to be a worthy citizen of the city-state, and everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you believe is in true commitment to that state. Roman colonies. Now, I know we've just began in Philippians, but I said to get this further, we have to understand a little bit more about the commitment of the people of Philippi and why being a part of the Roman Empire, part of this this polis, this, this state, was so pivotal. To them and, and so important. You know, in Paul's second missionary journey, he established the church at Philippi. This comes from Acts 16. You can follow along with me or just listen. But the Apostle Paul finds himself in a region called Troas. And there, in, in a vision, he received the call Come over to Macedonia, Paul. Well, that's exactly what Paul did. Him, along with Silas, set sail and found themselves into the area of Philippi. How do we know it's a Roman colony? Again, we get our history from Scripture. It says so in Acts 16. Well, on their landing there, they, they meet a woman, Lydia, seller of purple goods. It was there, this, this worshiper of God opened her heart and, and paid attention to what Paul said to her. 
She loved the Lord and then opened up her house. They stayed there. Thus, the start of a church. Well, in the following day, Paul and Silas would do what Paul and Silas do. And that is to go out and proclaim the good news. Chapter 16 of verse 16, it says this, Paul, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. It didn't take Paul very long to find himself in a dilemma. Trouble. Obviously, this got the city, or first and foremost, the owners in an uproar. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Notice these words that they say to him. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. Notice, Polis, the city-state, you came to our city. It wasn't that, yes, we lost fortune, by you casting out the demon of the fortune teller. But more so than that, Paul, you've upset the city. You've upset the state. That was the greatest offense. Additionally, their cry, they advocate for customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. They're in Philippi. But they consider themselves Romans, adherents to the state, the great state, the, the Roman Empire. These are not customs of ours. These are not laws of ours. You've disrupted that. When you had someone in a, in a city, in a group, so faithful to its state, anything that came against that was not to be called for. Of course, you probably know the rest of the story they were unjustly accused by the magistrates, beaten, put in prison. Of course, the Lord used that opportunity because of an earthquake. Philippian jailers converted, churches established. The magistrates have to apologize to Paul, a Roman citizen. But as we look at this text this morning in Philippians, is that what Paul's call is to live a life worthy of the gospel? So the point number one would be asking about our citizenship. Is, is he telling the church of Philippi to live as faithful Roman citizens? Now remember, Philippi was also considered a, a little Rome. And Rome was the, the overarching word. That's where everything took place. You followed and you resembled Rome, faithful to the state. But, but is Paul telling 
the Philippian people, you are of Rome, do as the Romans do. No. No. You see, citizenship matters when it comes to our walk in the worthy way of the gospel. But that citizenship, first and foremost, is not of this earth. You see, Paul here is speaking of a far greater citizenship. He says this more clearly in Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who you are a citizen of, church. This is where your priority lies, church. The citizenship in heaven. This polis is your city. Well, we will no doubt see that there are actually a lot of resemblances to the, this Roman colony of Philippi. Because it is of the state. It is made up of people. It is made up of a community. But also is not the church. But the church is not faithful to the, the state held by governing authorities. The church is a part of that greater city, that, that city on a hill, the one that will not fade, the city that is paved with streets of gold. Paul is reminding them. And I can almost see this as a difficulty, even for a Christian church located in a very pagan, godless society that they were to see that their greater citizenship is not of the pride of Philippi, but the city that our Savior has provided for us. And he showed them that, did he not? He gave them an example. Right? I am of Rome, Paul would say, and I am in Philippi, but to abide by your customs and to not preach the gospel would be unfaithful. So I preach Christ. The gospel is the priority. Not what government would have me do by not speaking, not upsetting the city. His loyalty was not to Caesar, but to Christ. See, citizenship matters. But the priority must never be the earthly citizenship. Now we have to ask the question, does this remove the Christian? Does this remove us uh, as citizenships and our responsibilities as American citizens? Are we to wash our hands completely and say, well, I'm a citizen of, of heaven I don't need to be involved with the, the affairs of my nation. I don't think that's what Paul is saying either. Because the gospel goes with us everywhere. Uh, the, the gospel is, is not restricted to with just within the walls of this building. Not just within our homes and as we read scripture to ourselves and our families. It goes outside that. So yes, be a 
or the American citizen, still do the godly things, pay your taxes, vote for those who upheld biblical principles, go outside the the walls to your communities and, and behave as a Christian ought to behave in the secular workforce, be a good worker, honor the king, of course, but honor Christ far greater. We go to sporting events. Does, does our faith remain at home? No. Because when we see that, number one, our citizenship is in heaven, that the polis is the heavenly citizenship, that changes our view. Now, if we reverse it, if we say we are primarily Americans and, and we just get fixated on that, then it begins to obscure our view. And then our endeavors and our choices pertain mainly just to the state and we forget about the heavenly city. But when we have our minds fixated on him, our hope, and in heaven, on the greater kingdom, we have a clear pursuit. Well, how also do we get that? So number one is, is citizenship. We have to understand our citizenship. We also have to, as he says here, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So number two, standing firm in one spirit and one mind. It's best to put those two together. Now, is Paul here speaking when he says one spirit? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? Now, no doubt, Paul would agree that there is one Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.3, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, he speaks earlier in Philippians 1. Uh, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. But what is the context here? Remember, Paul is, is addressing the church. How to be worthy citizens, how to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, of course, he understands there's one spirit. And that is what causes the bond of peace. But I think within the context here... He's telling them to achieve this this one mind, this one spirit, basically a mindset. I want you to have this mindset, church. And we know that within the church, there's a lot of things that can divide us. A a lot of things that can separate us to cause dissension. I, I think this is... This is more natural because we fall within a a sinful world. We are in a sinful society. And so it is not uncommon, and we hear of these, and these things happen, of divisions. Those things can be over doctrinal issues. Maybe one's social standing or economic standing or ethnicity. But there's also other things. Bitterness arises in the church. Grudges over minor offenses caused to them or maybe to others. Dissatisfaction with with leadership or how other ministries are going. See, Paul saw, and, and if you know his letters, 
disharmony and disunity within the church is not uncommon. And so he said, number two, right? If you are to live in a way, manner, a, a worthy manner of the gospel of Christ, you have to strive together with one spirit and one mind. Well, what does this mean? Does it mean that we negotiate away all of our biblical convictions? That we ignore essential doctrinal matters? That we not even try to behave as our unique self, but just all try to have the same mindset just so we can love Jesus? Is that what he's saying? No. No. And that's why it, it must go back to the very first thing. Being gospel-filled. Because if we are living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, what are some things that we are going to understand and know about each other? One, that we're, we're saved sinners by the grace of God. We are fallen, but Christ loved us while we were still in our sins. And so if we remember that, and if we love Christ, that means we love his word and we love his truth. And we want to share that with one another and exhort each other with that. But it also comes at sacrifice and love for one another. Because we know we, we are going to have various times where we disagree over small doctrinal matters. Other things can, we're going to be offended. We're going to be displeased at some time. But he says, stand firm. When I see that word, stand firm, it's not easy. Standing firm in one spirit and in one mind comes with difficulty. It comes with sacrifice. You know, a conversation uh, came up this week. Said, "Is is a church, military outpost, is it a hospital? Well... Paul actually really liked to use military terms in his letters. And in fact, a lot of scripture is filled with those. But just to bring a few to reminder that Paul has spoken previously, take up the full armor of God. To Timothy, share in the sufferings of Christ as a good soldier. Fight the good fight of faith. It is no doubt that Paul believed that there was a battle to be fought. I know that illustration is is overused, but Paul used it quite a bit. He says, stand firm just like a soldier. Don't move on that ground. To be of one mind and and one spirit. You have to be ready to defend. To defend. But I would also say, as we stand and contend for the faith, contained within the walls of that military outpost, no doubt a hospital, right? No doubt a hospital in there. Where you're bringing in the sick and the wounded that have been beat down by this world, by the cares of this life, and you're bringing them in, you're saying, to, pointing them to Christ. To Christ we look, to Christ we go. We're going to defend and stand for the truth, but to those who are weak and helpless, ah, point into Christ. The hospital as well. You know, having served some time in the military, 
And if you were in one of the branches of services that were one of the ground troops, either the Army or the Marine Corps, one of the things that they would teach you at basic training or boot camp is how to use your firearm, how to use your rifle. My time as an M16. You must know how to shoot it. You'll be able to hit a target from 300 yards. If you're in the Marines, it's 500 yards. You know how to load it, care for it, clean it, to defend yourself and others. But also, our training did not end there. Every soldier is given a medical pouch. Understand the functions of that medical pouch. If you go down or your buddy goes down, you must know how to triage a wound, to stop the bleeding, to care for them. No soldier would go into battle unless he was a a fool or afraid and, and just lay down his firearm and to go just with the medical pouch. And no soldier would just say, just with the firearm I go, and no medical pouch because he did not care for his brother and not likely going to win the fight. You are trained in both to defend and to care. Scripture reminds us, though, that our weapons are not earthly, right? 1 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divine power to destroy strongholds. We stand firm in this. We want to be a faithful church, a faith, an unfaithful church that doesn't see it as a stronghold or uh, to stand firm in these convictions are going to let all sorts of fallacy and error and ways of the world just come in. And they may just say, love, 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 love. But error has built. And eventually there's no foundation at all to the scripture. But we also have to be honest with ourselves too, right? If we see ourselves just as the military outpost, we say, fight, 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 defend, defend, defend. And guess what? That could lead to all law and no grace and all truth and no love. So there's a balance. There's a balance. Standing firm. Standing firm together, one mind, one spirit. Church, thirdly, we are striving together, striving together. Paul says here, more specifically, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And you know what, this this side by side, it, it really speaks to not just the pastors, not just the elders, but to each one of us, right? The, the responsibility to stand firm and, and standing side by side for the gospel involves the church. Are you willing to stand side by side in love and faithfulness, defend, uphold the truth, preach the gospel by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? I would even say that's why church membership is so important. No, the word church membership doesn't land in the Bible. 
but you really show that you're committed to a body. I'm going to stand side by side, striving together, together. And you show that you're committed to those people. You know, uh, Paul liked to use military analogies as well as sports ones. And, and strive actually invokes this image of a wrestling match. Wrestling match. Romans like to wrestle. Well, notice that the wrestling match, the striving is not done side by side, or not done alone. Right? You're not going to jump in the ring with Andre the Giant by yourself. Right? You're not the farmer boy Wesley out to rescue Princess Buttercup. Right? And, and Sevzik's just unconquerable, inconceivable to try to do that. But, right, this is, it, it's side by side. We're, we're going in together. But again, just like the weapons are, are not physical weapons, are, are weapons of warfare, as we stand firm together, side by side, uh, those, those are not physical but spiritual. So is the enemy. The enemy is, is not necessarily the foe in front of us. And we see a lot of foes, right? Just think of what's happening in today's, in our world right now. Uh, the, the rise of cultural Marxism. The, the hatred towards Israel. So many pro-Hamas supporters. And what we really see in that is not necessarily a support for those, but ultimately, if we, if we know, it's a hatred towards God. Understand that it is a hatred towards God. And so are we to look at them and, and look at, say, the, the pro-Hamas supporters say, Enemy, I'll defeat you. We have to understand, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? What has happened? It is the thief, it is the devil, the, the enemy that we cannot see, that has destroyed, that has plagued the mind of so many unbelievers. That is the enemy. And again, the, the weapons are not of this world. That is why it comes back again to the gospel. The absolute gospel. You cannot be persuasive enough. You are not witty enough. You do not know your politics enough. It is impossible to remove them from that deep and darkened spiritual mindset without the gospel. That is the weapons of warfare which we take. We stand firm in. Stand side by side. Praise be to God. And he will be the one that gets the glory. Well, these last couple, we're not frightened. We're not frightened. Verse 29, it has been granted to you for your sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And before that, verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not be frightened. Paul had opponents. Paul had opponents outside the church. He had opponents within the church. If you read earlier in Philippians 1.17, he actually had opponents that were preaching a gospel out of envy and strife. But he wasn't frightened. He wasn't frightened. I was reading this this week, a book by uh, Richard Wombrand. Perhaps you've heard of him. Founder of Voice of the Martyrs. 
uh, his most renowned book. It may not seem such an appealing title. It's called Tortured for Christ. may not be the first book of choice off the Christian shelf you pick up. But Ann and I learned of this. So he grew up in the communist rule, the USSR. He lived in Romania. Now the state had no problem with the state-sanctioned church. Because as long as that church abide by their rules, then it speak out against communism and shared whatever the state believed was the gospel, you'd be fine. But to Richard and other faithful Christians, they said no. Well, thus the underground church formed, the, the faithful church formed. And you know what? The communist rulers hated the true Christian church. The police tortured and, and made such diabolical schemes against them. It's actually pretty hard to read at times. They tried to frustrate and dissuade people from following and, and turning to Christianity. Just to give you a sense of how evil this seems. Wombrand speaks of a woman who served in the underground church. Now, the communist police hated this because they discovered that she secretly passed out Christian tracts and taught Christ to children. Well, they knew they were going to arrest her. They decided they were going to wait a bit, though. Because her wedding day was coming up in a few weeks. And on that day, dressed beautifully in white and Standing before her beloved, the doors burst open. And in stormed the communist police. And they begin to put the shackles on her wrist. She stands before them, anxiously awaiting. This is what she said. I thank my heavenly bridegroom for this jewel he has presented me on my marriage day. I thank him that I am worthy to suffer for him. And then she kissed the chains. <laughs> and off she went. She was not frightened. She was not frightened. The Apostle Paul is not frightened. He tells us not to be frightened. Could you not see also the Apostle Paul as the Romans came in, Praetorian, come and arrest me. I'm here. The gospel is not bound by your prison chains. The gospel is not bound by your bars. It will go forward. It will go forward, church. Do not be frightened. The word of God says, perfect love casts out fear. Well, how are we to do this then? I, Paul does not just leave us to not be frightened. This is what he says. It will be granted to us that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but suffer. Notice, granted to you. That word granted means a grace. It is a grace to you to suffer. But notice, that, suffer is, that suffering is not removed from that first word. Believe. Believe in Christ. It has been granted you to believe and to suffer. You can't separate those two. 
Because without belief in Christ, you are unable to suffer. You will give in. But with Christ, all things are possible. He says this later in Philippians. You can suffer. And actually, it will be considered a grace. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Suffering side by side. And what happens? What happens when we do this? I love this part. You're not frightened in anything by your opponents. Notice when when we're doing this, when we are not frightened by our opponents, we are standing side by side, firm in the faith, one spirit, one mind, suffering together. Guess what happens? It is a clear sign to your opponents of their destruction. How can someone suffer so much when they see that Christians do not behave like the the world and and give in to the world, but they love their Christ. They know it's just a sign of their destruction. But not only of that, believer, of your salvation. Of your salvation. It's a confirmation to us that we are his. Told the youth students this as we've been working through this beautiful book that the main theme of Philippians is joy. It is joy. Paul says here in the last verse as he is engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and and now here that I still have. He's basically saying it's not going to be uncommon that you have this same conflict. But he's joyful. He's joyful. For us too. For us too. Well, dear saints, How do we live in a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Remember your citizenship. Stand firm in one spirit and one mind. Striving side by side. Not frightened. Suffering together. For the sake of the gospel. For our good. And his glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It is all-powerful. And, uh, Lord, we know that apart from belief in you, we cannot do this. We thank you for the gospel, Jesus. That is what gives us hope. I just pray for that we as a church body would be faithful and run this race, race with endurance, not alone, but together. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.